historic Golden, Colorado, welcome to the Retirement Well-Crafted Podcast, where we focus on the challenges, strategies, and realities facing those near or in retirement. Join us as we discuss meaningful information and concepts that will empower you to define, plan, and execute the retirement that's right for you. Please stay tuned for important disclosure information at the conclusion of this episode. Now, here's your host, Dave Sprague. Hello, and welcome to Retirement Well-Crafted, Episode 3. In today's episode, we'll introduce a new team member, cover a listener's question on where bonds fit in a retirement plan, and begin to explore how you can choose the retirement income plan that best fits your particular personality and why that's important. If you happen to notice, we had made a slight change to our logo. You don't have to look too closely to see that we've added yet another furry creature to the image. His name is Bert, and Bert is a rescue dog from Mesquite, Texas, who is now living his very best life with my daughter in Dallas. I have a long list of podcasts that I listened to, and I started noticing that most of the logos were pretty standard and cookie cutter. Try as I might, I doubt I'll ever get this podcast to to standard, in air quotes. So including Bert seemed like a no-brainer. We found Bert through an amazing organization called Cody's Friends, that's C-O-D-Y, and they're in Addison, Texas. If you're so inclined, I urge you to look them up at codysfriendsrescue.org. Once again, that's codysfriendsrescue.org. Okay, on to the question of the week. When I first saw this question, I quite frankly was going to bypass it because it seemed a bit too basic. But after I thought about it, this question touches on so many subtle but crucial points when it comes to planning and investing in general. So here's the question, and it comes from Houston. Like many retirees, I had a significant portion of my portfolio allocated to bonds and took a hit in 2022. And I don't know if exactly it was 2022, but obviously he took a hit when the rates started going up. With interest rates up again, what role, if any, do bonds play in a retirement portfolio? Well, the answer, as is the case with just about everything in financial planning, is it depends. If you remember in last week's show, I introduced the concept of technique versus procedure. Well, in flight training, I had the leeway to re- to regard technique. You know, I could do different things with technique. But if you didn't complete a procedure properly, that was likely to en- land you in deep trouble. How much or how little you allocate to any asset class or holding is most definitely a technique when it comes to financial planning. Let me first lay down a baseline for everyone. A bond is known as a debt instrument. Basically, you lend your money to a company, an organization, a government, etc. for a defined period of time. In exchange, the issuer is contractually obligated to pay you a stated interest rate for the duration of the agreement. The interest rate is to compensate you for lending them your money. If you've purchased CDs in the past, for example, bonds are like their big brother. A few things to keep in mind here. First, Bonds are not risk-free. If the issuer goes away, so does your money for the most part. We've all heard about junk or high-yield bonds, and I can only imagine how much fun the marketing department had with those names. Can you imagine a room full of suits and the boss asks, hey, why aren't our bonds selling? 
And some junior guy says, gee, I, I don't know, boss. It's a great market for junk bonds. About that time, somebody else is going to pipe up and say, hey, I've got an idea. What if we don't call them junk bonds anymore? Let's call them high-yield bonds. Brilliant. Now they're flying off the racks. Okay, back on track here. Bonds carry risk. One is issuer risk. If they're government bonds, you're in pretty good shape. If they're lower rated, make sure to do your homework. Another risk is the risk that was mentioned in this listener's question. Bonds are sensitive to interest rate changes, both good and bad. They have an inverse relationship to interest rates. If rates go up, your bond value declines. If rates go down, your bond's value will increase. For example, let's say you're holding a 30-year bond, and that's paying, uh, I don't know, we'll just guess, around 4%. Not that they are, but that's what we're going to use today. If rates go up and a new 30-year bond is paying 5%, you'll have to discount the selling price of your bond to net out at about 5% to the buyer. If rates decrease to, say, 3%, now any buyer would have to pay you more to sell your bond. The increased price combined with your 4% rate would net out to about 3% for the buyer. Now, it's important to remember that this isn't a risk if you hold the bond to maturity. The problem with that is that the vast majority of people today own their bonds in a mutual fund. And when you're in a fund, rate changes can give you whiplash faster than an old guy in a Lululemon store. Recent unprecedented interest rates hikes saw bond valuations tank dramatically. Unfortunately, this caught a number of people off guard because they were trained like that bonds were safe. They've always been told that. Go to safe money, go to bonds. This is a particularly touchy topic for me, but this could have been handled better in our industry. When rates are near zero, there's only one way they can go, yet bonds and bond funds to con continue to sell. I don't know. Before I get around to actually opining on the question that was asked, I should introduce another concept that I fully subscribe to, and that is the idea that when all is said and done, there are only two types of money in your portfolio. There's growth money, and there's income money. In other words, what do you want that chunk of money to do for you? Are you asking it to grow, or are you asking it to generate income now or at some point in the future? As I see it, it comes down to efficiency. Could a plow horse run the Kentucky Derby efficiently? Could a thoroughbred plow a field efficiently? <laughs> Going back to the to the marketing sense idea, let's crossbreed a thoroughbred and a plow horse. Does anyone imagine that that pony would grow up to be able to do both with efficiency? I'm thinking not, yet every day we're asking our portfolios to do both. Think about your 60-40 portfolio. Are you asking it to race or to plow? Here's where you'll start to see my bias, my hot take. When you think about growth money or income money, where do bonds fit? If you're looking for growth, your go-to has historically not been the bond market or bond funds. Now, quick aside, with rates where they are today in what are we May of 2023 and the Fed's forecast for rate cuts over the next few years, there may be a total return play here. Now, I'm, I'm not ruling that out. I'm just saying, overall, that is not where you went to for growth. The question is, even given today's environment, will bond total returns outpace equity-based investments? Now, if the 
if history proves itself again, you need to be in equity for growth. Perfect. Bonds will give you growth, but are they going to be as efficient at generating it as, say, some equity strategies? I'll leave that up to you, but once again, you don't typically go to bonds for total return. Now let's look at where and why bonds are typically deployed. To help generate income or stabilize a portfolio, let's tackle generating income first. Bonds have been positioned as a stable income source since rocks got hard. But if you subscribe to the efficiency theory, bonds aren't usually even close to being efficient income generators. There are a number of different solutions that are more efficient. Several dividend income strategies, for example, have proved to be more efficient. Recently, I started looking into collateralized loan obligations as another income source. Now, now don't, don't freak. The CLO world is very different than the CDO world that we remember from a number of years back. Additionally, insurance companies have also come a long way with income-specific products. Annuities always seem to trigger extreme reactions, but both good and bad, but simply stated, it is very difficult to find a more efficient income strategy in today's market. I sincerely challenge you to look into annuities with an open mind. I'd also suggest you look at the academic research versus listening or reading to talking heads who, for whatever reason, have given up on learning about the offerings available today. As you do this research, ask yourself, how much money do you have to allocate to bonds versus annuities, for example, to generate the same amount of income? Now, the gap changes regularly, but it's not unusual to have to invest two to three times as much in bonds as you would in annuities to generate the same amount of income. It boggles my mind why people don't take one-third and go annuity or plow horse, if you will, and take the other two-thirds and go full thoroughbred. And I should probably take a step back and eat my own cooking here. Remember that asset allocation and the approaches that you take to generating your income and building your wealth are purely in the technique camp. There, there, there really is no right or wrong answer. It's what fits you, your personality, and your style. Now, what if we're looking to bonds to stabilize our portfolio for us? Well, I go back to my question. What do you want that money to do? If it's growth, adding bonds is like adding bricks to your cycling shorts. There are better options. Look at the America's Cup sailing competition. And by the way, if you haven't seen them in years, prepare to be amazed. These boats they have now are rocket ships. They're they're hitting 50 knots. Do you think the engineers building those boats are sitting around saying, hey, I got an idea. Let's make the keel bigger. I know, I know, that'll slow it down, but we need this thing to tug the Queen Mary out of port after the race. That being said, there is a small keel on these racing boats. So I'm not saying no bonds in the portfolio. I'm saying make your allocation decisions on purpose. Don't just go off of what has been done in the past. So tying the original question back into retirement income planning, where do bonds fit? And once again, a quick disclaimer. The following is simply my opinion and in no way should be regarded as specific advice. Always work with your, within your comfort zone. Don't discount a professional's help. And if you're more than five to 10 years from retirement, build your portfolio for growth. Build it for the Kentucky Derby, the racehorse. 
Once again, that doesn't mean excluding bonds, just add them as needed. Remember the keel to sale ratio from the America's Cup. Now, once you're within five to 10 years, things change. This is called the critical decade of retirement. It's time to start turning some of your growth money into income money. During this transition, when folks are getting closer and closer to retirement, most pre-retirees have a very significant change of heart when it comes to investing. It's no longer about the return on their money, but the return of their money. I believe that one's Will Rogers. I love that guy. Another favorite of mine is after eating an entire bull, a mountain lion felt so good he started to roar. He kept it up until a hunter came along and shot him. The moral? When you're full of bull, keep your mouth shut. How much better would social media be if TikTok or Twitter or any social media outlet would judge each post by that same quote? Okay. Back on track. Obviously, if we're five to 10 years from retirement, we're not going to turn our income on yet, but it's time to de-risk the portfolio and move some of that money into safe, principal-protected vehicles that will ensure, firstly, that we won't lose money. That doesn't mean growth stops. It simply means that we transition to guaranteed growth, or at the very least, safe growth. And safe is in air quotes, safer growth. We don't want to lose. Think about it this way. If you're close to retirement and you already have enough saved to generate the income you need, why continue to expose it to sequential risk? Take that portion of your money, slap a plow harness on it, and make it safe. Let the rest of the portfolio run the Kentucky Derby. You've got your plow horse set aside over here, no risk, you know what you're going to end up with when you retire, and that empowers you. That frees the rest of your portfolio to do what it does, which is grow. Unfortunately, there are tons of pre-retirees right now, and I'm sure you know plenty of them, that would have wished they changed horses before 2022. Now, once you're in retirement and it's time to turn on the income, it's all about generating efficient income. Carve out the amount of savings you need to generate a lifetime of income and find the vehicle that fits your style. If you recall the three recipes we discussed last week, I'm guessing you already know my preference. If you have the financial wherewithal, in my opinion, it's tough to beat the floor or safety first approach. In this, in this approach, you figure out what your monthly number is, and we'll cover this in on, on a later show because it's not as easy as you think, but you basically figure out what you need to maintain your lifestyle. Once you have that, you calculate how much of your savings you need to allocate to the most efficient income strategy to generate that number and invest the rest for growth. Now that's simple as can be. Think about it this way. Once your lifestyle is covered via guarantees, you no longer worry about what the market is doing in the short term. Who cares from a planning angle about interest rates, social unrest, wars, the bad news, the whole ball of wax. We've seen it all before. With your income guaranteed, you're empowered to invest like you were 40 again. And guess what? Anyone here remember what their bond allocation was when they were 40? Now, this brings me to, uh, in my mind, another major advantage of using the safety first approach. If you recall, in the very first episode, we covered the four major risks to a successful retirement. Those risks are longevity risk, 
inflation risk, sequence of return risk, and behavioral risk. It is my position that if you can hedge those four risks effectively, then you have a great chance at a successful retirement. Guaranteed income in general does a good job of hedging three of the four risks, those risks being longevity risk, sequence of return risk, and behavioral risk. We still need growth in our portfolio to hedge inflation. But of the three risks guaranteed income hedges, behavioral risk is a hot one for me. Research has shown that retirees are reluctant to spend money if they have to sell an investment to generate income. They avoid spending today because they fear what tomorrow or next year or the next 10 years brings. If, however, that income is generated through guaranteed sources, and that pensions and Social Security and annuities are typically the definition of guaranteed sources, and that money is deposited just like a paycheck in their checking or savings account every month, retirees will spend those funds more freely. Now, I'm not saying they're living lavishly. I mean, when you think about it, there's only so many types of New Balance tennis shoes you can buy or how many different models of Buicks are still out there. Now, I joke, but this this to me is extremely important. Guaranteed income empowers you to live in retirement. Not to get too deep, but we don't get today back. And that, to me, has an even greater impact and meaning in retirement. If we forego that trip to visit the kids or skip around a golf or pass on a new fishing rod for your grandkids, who knows what tomorrow brings? See, I I told you that simple question opened a Pandora's box, and I appreciate you uh, playing along with me. Now, I know I hit a few nerves here, so please don't hesitate to send your questions and comments directly to me at dave at retirementwellcrafted.com. Also, even though I went down this rabbit hole, I've only touched the surface on how to implement this strategy successfully. Please seek professional advice. Retirement is a critical phase of life, and bad decisions tend to have a bigger impact than when we were young. And now as I look at the clock, it seems that I've managed to eat up most of my time for this episode, so I think I'm going to call an audible. We'll dig into determining the best strategy for your personality in the next episode. Until then, here's some homework to prepare for a discussion. I want you to sit down with yourself in a nice, comfortable chair and have an honest one-to-one with yourself. Now, if you're married, definitely include your spouse. What is more important to you, maximizing the potential for accumulation, in other words, dying with more money, or maximizing your joy or utility in retirement? It's a simple question, but opens a lot of doors. If I were to tell you that you could die with an extra million dollars, would you give up some level of a life experience in retirement to achieve it? Now, to be clear, there isn't a wrong answer. I don't mean this to sound uh, negative in any way. We're all wired differently. It's hugely tough for a pure numbers person to give up growth potential for some sort of soft life experience. On the other hand, it's really tough for an experienced person to give up life a life event for, for growth of assets. Knowing which side of the fence you're on will help a great deal when it comes time to determine the correct retirement recipe. And once again, I truly appreciate the time invested here and urge you to let me know your thoughts. You can reach me directly at dave at retirementwellcrafted.com. Until next time, I wish you all the best. 
Investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal. This material is for general information only and is not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. There is no assurance that the views or strategies discussed are suitable for all investors or will yield positive outcomes. Always consult with the appropriate qualified professional prior to making any decisions. Any indexes mentioned are unmanaged statistical composites and cannot be invested into directly. Securities and advisory services are offered through LPL Financial, a registered broker-dealer, member FINRA SIPC. Insurance products are offered through LPL or its licensed affiliates. ONTAP Credit Union and Investment and Retirement Center located at ONTAP Credit Union are not registered as a broker-dealer or investment advisor. Registered representatives of LPL offer products and services using investment and retirement center located at ONTAP Credit Union and may also be employees of ONTAP Credit Union. These products and services are being offered through LPL or its affiliates, which are separate entities from and not affiliates of ONTAP Credit Union or Investment and Retirement Center located at ONTAP Credit Union. Securities and insurance offered through LPL or its affiliates are not insured by NCUA or any other government agency, not credit union guaranteed, not credit union deposits or obligations, may lose value.